I'm T.L. and I'll be your host for the next hour. When we go to Mass each week, we say those words in the Creed, I believe. But our belief has implications on the way we live out our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. Do you have that person in your life, uh, a friend, a compatriot, a person who you can call up and go and have a meal with or have a drink with and uh, share important conversations? Uh, Many times you might disagree with that person, uh, maybe even vehemently about their positions, but, but the conversation is worth it. Well, I've had a few such people in my life, and my life has always been enriched because of them. Uh, one of them is uh, a guest that we've had on the show a couple of times, Charles Beard. Uh, I remember the first few times I was in a, a conversation with him, I'm thinking, good gracious, could anyone be more different than me? Uh, we, we don't, I, I don't know that we agreed on anything, but we were good enough conversationalists that we continued that conversation. And I, uh, you know, I, I find that many of my opinions uh, were swayed not by his arguments, but by his ongoing friendship. And and so I began to see things the way that he saw them. And kind of, you know, you it's like putting on glasses for the first time. You kind of have to shake your head and things look clearer, but you're not quite sure if that's the way it's supposed to be. Um you have to get used to these new ways of seeing. And uh, that was the way it was with me and Charles. And in, to some degree, the way it was with me and today's guest, uh, Tony Vicinda. We've had Tony on the show a number of times. We first met, I think, through the Forming Intentional Disciples Forum uh, that is hosted on Facebook. But it's uh, all the the many church leaders, whether they be on staff or volunteer leaders, who have gone through and read the the Forming Intentional Disciples book by Sherry Waddell, fantastic read, and and continue to implement the ideas that come from that uh, in their own ministries. And so there's this forum where we talk about those things. So Tony and I uh, shared conversations a few times, and then lo and behold, I had the opportunity to move uh, out to the Pacific Northwest, just right around the corner from where he was, and so he's been that person who I've been able to call up and sit down and have a meal with and have a drink with and really just have a conversation about the things that matter. And these kind of conversations are difficult at any time, uh, but they're made even more difficult these days by uh, our, our social media, the, the digital interactions that we have. And this isn't just me getting old and pointing fingers at the millennials and younger and saying, oh, look how they ruined everything. Social media is awful. Uh, really, it's looking at a lot of the research that's out there today about the way that we uh, interact with social media in terms of brain science. The, uh, the social media operates much like an addiction operates in that it is set up. The, the, the logarithms are set up in such a way that um, it's going to continue to feed us things that not that stimulate us, Uh, and that help us grow, but it feeds us conversations that will get us to react. Whether that reaction is in solidarity or in anger, uh, it puts us in these camps for the purpose of ginning up a reaction, because reaction is where the most really strong emotions come from. And if, if we keep through social media uh, ending up in these reactionary circles, then 
all of a sudden we've lost our ability to have that rational discussion because we are responding with our emotions and we are not engaging our minds. So we hear the buzzwords and we see the disagreeing opinions and we get up in arms and we post immediately about it on social media. And it really becomes a problem, not just for our own interaction, but for really the health of the church and for the health of our communities and our societies. The last two Lents I've done, um, the, the project, Go Gray for Lent, that was put together by Dr. Maria Morrow. And within that project is the idea that I'm going to turn off those things of the design of my phone that so capture my attention and draw me into this addictive uh, cycle and make it less appealing to me. And, you know, I didn't know that it was going to make a huge difference, but it has made a profound difference uh, in the way that I interact online. In fact, I, I actually canceled my main social media accounts and I, I have the ones for the show that I continue to interact with. But in terms of interacting with social media beyond that, I've really gotten away from it. And I want to tell you, I didn't think that I was going to like it. I didn't think I was going to really even be able to do it. But I have to tell you, it was a freeing proposition. Maybe you're like me and you're looking at this idea of, gosh, this specific social media platform just isn't good for me. I'm always angry when I'm on it. I don't like it, but I don't think I could do without it because of all X, Y, Z good things that come from it, the communication that it provides, so forth and so on. I have to tell you, from the other side of it, uh, it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it because it pulls us out of that reactionary cycle and gives us the opportunity to really engage in conversations. And can can you use social media in a way that's healthy and, and helpful and have deep conversations with it? Absolutely. But I'm convinced that if you do, it's in spite of the platform and not because of the platform. Uh, the, the platform is made to be used to, to trigger our emotions and our reactions. Now, if you're not a person who has any trouble with social media, don't worry about it. I'm certainly not saying that everyone needs to get off social media, but if you're a person who's wrestled with the idea and you just, you're not sure that you can do it, I want to say that this is the week for you and you can absolutely do it. And I think even if you just do it for a week, I think that you'll see the, the true benefit and the, the kind of the breath of fresh air that it will provide for you. Now, if you're going to do that experiment this week, then this week's show is for you because you have to replace that with something. And so today we're going to be talking about how we live out our faith in a way that engages the world around us. We're going to have that conversation with our friend, Tony Vicinda, uh, founder of Catholic Beard Balm. Go find that over at catholicbalm.co for more information about it. If you're not giving up social media, then why don't you come and join us in a conversation over on Facebook at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Talk about the last really engaging conversation that you had and invite us to participate in that topic. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. 
And today we're joined again in the studio by our good friend, Tony Vicenda. Uh, this is going to be probably one of the last times I get to have you in studio. You're leaving us. At least, yeah, for the foreseeable future, it should probably be the last time. So you are, you're starting a new endeavor. Of course, you continue to be involved uh, with Project YM. You continue to be involved with Catholic Beard Balm, which, of course, is my favorite thing in the world. Um, so you get that, of course, by going to uh, Catholic Balm Co. CatholicBalm.co. CatholicBalm.co. Uh, lots of great stuff there. And you know that when you're purchasing this fine product, whether if you don't have a beard, that's fine. They've got lotions. They've got lip balms and all kinds of other stuff. Um, and, and you know that you're support. not only are you supporting some really good humor uh, in the in the naming conventions that you have and the other, uh, it's kind of, you're kind of like the, uh, the purple uh, mattresses of the beard balm world. I mean, I'll take that. Right? You've got yeah. fun advertising, great time. But, but more than that, um, you're supporting ministry when you are, you got to, get beard balm somewhere yeah right you gotta, you, you you, everybody out there is like where do i get the beard balm <laughs> that's the most ethically sourced i know all your listeners ask this question that's that's supporting things that i believe in and catholicbalm.co is that place that's the place uh so you're con- going to continue to do that you continue mm-hmm. to support ministries with that and be involved in ministry um but you're moving across the world across the world across the all, all the way into missionary territory of Philadelphia. Right. <laughs> to the godless Northeast instead of the godless Northwest. So you're just changing coasts. Um, but you brought up over lunch yesterday uh, this this idea of what it was you're going to be doing out there. Because you continue to run the business. That's going to be your, your mm-hmm. main thing. Uh, but you're looking at doing some very intentional ministry. Uh, kind of almost the opposite of... The, the Benedict option. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the Benedict option is that um, in order to, uh, pres- as I understand it, and let's let's make that clear, as I understand it, that we, um, we practice the faith really in a very full way and we do it with other people who are very like-minded and we, uh, in some ways, have these, um, these familial cloisters. Uh, yeah, we go out in the world and we interact with the world, but we also maintain for the sake of our children and raising them a really... Um, tight knit community uh, of faith, and what you're looking at doing out in Philadelphia is a very similar kind of cloister and and relationship, but doing that in an evangelistic kind of way, and yeah, just, not just with godless heathens instead. So, talk a little bit about what this what this looks like to do uh, the the Francis uh, as in Saint of guess, Assisi, yeah. The Francis option. Yeah. So um, the uh, the whole concept is that if we if we believe that our core identity as Catholics is that we exist to evangelize, that that's why the church exists, then I think one of the major struggles with the the Benedict option, and and I think it's oftentimes kind of bandied about as you know it's this closed door idea. I don't know that the Benedict option really requires that, but there is an element of kind of looking inward and. Mm-hmm. And saying, well, if the rest of the world is sacked by Vikings or, you know, dies to the plague, well, at least the monasteries will maintain the faith till the next generation and then we can come back out. And, um, you know, I Christ exists in a pluralistic world. Um, mm-hmm. he, he does today still, but did when he was incarnate here on Earth also, too. 
Um, the apostles operated in pluralistic society and the church experienced continual growth decade after decade, year after year, moment after moment when we existed in that society and lived the faith the way that we were supposed to. And so in a lot of ways, the the missionary work that we want to do is kind of return to that to say, what does it look like to live again in a pluralistic society? And what does it look like to actually try to um, live with and address the, the questions of our neighbor's hearts in a way that draws them deeper into relationship um, with us, maybe first and foremost, as far as chronologically, but long-term actually draws them into a relationship with Christ and the church. Now, let's be really clear, because Christ did live in a very pluralistic society, and the first Christians thrived in a pluralistic society, but they thrived, as Tertullian said, uh, that the church grew uh, by the blood of the martyrs. Yeah, that's so, somebody else's job. Right. <laughs> Well, I mean, we're, we're, you know, there's a lot of people who will talk right now about how they feel like we're on the edge of that, though. Like, um, I've heard a number of priests say, well, yeah, if I'm doing my be- job right, I'll be the first one with my back against the wall when they come for us, right? Like, who do know that there is a level at which um, stating what we believe as Catholics and as Christians does make us vulnerable to the persecution of the world around us. And I'm not somebody who is um, overly enthralled with with pretending like Christians in America are overly persecuted. Right. There, there is some injustice there, certainly. Um, we don't experience persecution like people do in the Middle East or in other parts of the world um, who are actually fleeing or living in terror for their lives who are, who are being persecuted there. It's a different way of mm-hmm. having to address that societally. And so th- there's, there's an issue there, but yeah. you know, um, we don't need to divert down that. The, the thing is, what if we actually demonstrated the power of the faith through our lives to our neighbors in relationship with them. What if we actually said, hey, um, if the early church was defined by gathering together um, and breaking bread and having conversations about the word of Jesus, what if our households were centers of, centers of that? And what if those households were radically open to people who had different beliefs and different backgrounds and allowed them to come and experience that type of community in a way that captivated them and made them wonder what is different about these people? Why do these people continuing to invite me into their house when they disagree with me, when they, um, when they proclaim this faith that I don't know if I believe when, when they have a different background, a different look, a different way of being, why do they continue to invite me in and love me and care for me and desire me to be here and never force me to change, but consistently present their lives in a way that's intriguing and makes me wonder why do I not live this way? Why do I not have these things? Why do I not feel like the questions of my heart are answered in the way that they seem to feel like the questions of their heart are answered? And I think I think that's really kind of at the heart of it, uh, not to say heart too many times, um, is <laughs> to say that there are these, these questions that people are asking, mm-hmm. um, everyone, regardless of who they are or where they're from, and the church, and more importantly, um, at the top of that, Christ actually proposes an answer to the questions of the heart. And a lot of the time, people know what the church teaches about any number of issues, or they have a perception of what they think the church teaches, mm-hmm. which usually isn't super far off, but they've never actually encountered somebody who lives or believes that way. And I think that's where a lot of the the misgivings and the mistrust and the lack of ability to have questions and conversations around that come from is who would they ask, you know? Right. right. And so let, let's take this in a, a slightly 
maybe uncomfortable and dangerous mm. direction. Uh, we're talking today with Tony Vicenda. And, and so I, I see these memes fly across social media. I know you do as well. Um, th- where people bring politics into it. And, and it, it goes like this. If people really believed that the poor and the vulnerable were worth protecting, they would protect the, the, the unborn. Right. Um, and, and we get these two ideas as if they are competing ideas. And very often the person on the other side would say, well, if you really believed the unborn were valuable, you would also support the poor and the vulnerable and the immigrant. Right. And, and sometimes I just sit on this side going, uh, why not both? Yeah. Why, why do we have to take uh, these two ideas that are both right smack dab in the center of the idea of the dignity of the human person and pit them against one another? Why do we have to say, well, you either support um, housing the homeless or you support housing uh, the, the veteran? Like, why not both? Right. Right. Um, and so starting from this aspect of saying uh, the, the, uh, the gospel from a couple of days ago, um, who is my neighbor? Mm-hmm. Well, right. The one who, who showed mercy. Right. And, and mercy to the person who wasn't like him. Right. And so this is really that central idea of uh, not segregating ourselves off into camps. Uh, whether whether they be political or socioeconomic or racial or whatever the, the case may be, is to say, uh, I recognize you and your value as a person. And um, even when you frustrate me by your differences of opinion or your differences of lifestyle, I'm still going to treat you with a dignity that you uh, deserve simply by virtue of being made in the image of God. Yeah, and... And I think one of the other things is you, you will see these conversations pop up, especially online, because very few people actually talk about those things in person because it would be considered impolite. Um, and, you know, we'll have friends who will post things like, you know, if you believe blah, blah, blah about the rights of the unborn, then what about the, you know, the young mother or, you know, feeding them or taking care of them or making sure that people have access to this or can, you know, and I'm, I'm like, yeah, all of it. And I, just, I mean, and I'll comment, I'll be like, what? Yeah, I do. Like, what next? Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> like, like your move. If if we actually believe in those things and if people actually saw us demonstrating that in our daily lives, it becomes a lot harder to critique that. Well, you just care about the unborn. No, you're with me all the time. Like, you right. know I care about the unborn, but you also know I care about the young mother. Like, you also know that we help provide meals each week for and go over and babysit for and make sure that, you know, um, the, the child has, has the school supplies that they need and all those sort of things because we're in a community together. And it is one thing to, to love those who are like us. I feel like there's a guy who said this somewhere, but it's another completely different thing to love our enemies, Mm -hmm. to love those who hate us. And, you know, lots of times I think as Christians, we get very comfortable with the concept of, well, I do that from a distance because I pray that they'll stop being heathens and <laughs> and come to know Jesus in a new way. When the the call of the gospel, what what Jesus asks us really to do is actually to, to go do that, to, mm-hmm. to love them by living with them and living for them. Um, and that is a scary thing. It requires vulnerability. Like my mom, when she <laughs> talked about what we're going to do and where we want to do it. Um, it's not, it's not safe upper North Seattle that has a, you know, very low crime rate and, uh, has, has very, you know, uh, economically sound. It's a poorer part of a high crime city. And it's not, 
that we were like, we want to find a poor part in a high crime city. We just really felt called by God to go to Philly. And Philly happens to be that. And Philly happens to be in the middle. Recently, there was a study of the most unchurched parts of the country. And the Northwest, like I said, oftentimes gets that, like it's the most unchurched part. But actually, of the top 10 cities, nine of them were in the Northeast. And Seattle was number 10. And Portland was like number 12. And so the reality is we're seeing disaffiliation way higher in the Northeast. And the church in the Northwest is actually doing really good by and large. Yeah. It's, it's isolated. It's separate. It's never been super healthy, but it also isn't getting worse right now. It's getting better. And so um, the the mission field is oftentimes not where, where we always think it is. Yeah. We're talking today with Tony Vicenda, founder of Catholic Balm Co. Go, go pick up some beard balm that smells like chrism. Uh, that's, that's the smell of heaven right there. Uh, you can find it over at catholicbalm.co uh, and uh, support while you're doing it. Support a healthy beard, healthy skin, and support ministry. Uh, we'll be right back right after this. We're going to continue this conversation with Tony Vicenda. We're going to dig into what it looks like to break outside of our walls uh, and invite others in. There's much more to come right after this. Join the conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Talk to me about your experience of conversation with someone who maybe you disagree with. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. We're talking today with Tony Vicenda, uh, founder of Catholic Beard Balm, one of the uh, the masterminds behind Project YM, uh, involved in ministry for over well over, uh, what, what are you going on? 20, I'm getting close to 20, 20 years. 20 years. And you have the, the gray, scraggly beard to prove it, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's... That's that's uh, that's the kind of gray that can only come from working in ministry. That's correct. <laughs> so we're, you're you're about to move. You're leaving us, and I'm very sad. Uh, but you're going to to Philly, the city of brotherly love, and mm-hmm. you're going to show them what that really means. Ooh, maybe I'm going to learn what that really means. Oh, maybe it's not about me showing them. Maybe it's about me going and participating. <laughs> um, which isn't just isn't just a cop out. Like there is a lot of you know. Right now we we've got this this clear clear vision of what we want to do right and everybody's like well what's exactly is that going to look like and it's one of those things where it's like well if the goal is to go and to live with people right right and to be in a relationship with people then beyond that what that looks like is i'll find out when i get there um you know i think that's one of the hardest things to do how often do we enter into a conversation with the intentional goal of of making something happen to the other person for ourselves right like we really want this person to understand this so that they can get a better sense of who we are or so that they can serve us in some way as opposed to entering into a conversation for just really the reality of getting to know that person better um, and looking at the good and true and beautiful things that pop out in their life that enrich your own and sharing that goodness, truth, and beauty with them. I heard one of my good friends, Sarah Kismeric, the other day. She works for um, Alpha in a Catholic Context, and she works for the Encounter Ministries. She was in town for for a conference, and uh, you know, this is something I, I think I've told myself in the background a whole lot, but it's one of the hardest things to do, especially if you have a strategic mindset, which I do, 
is to not love people so that they change, not to have love be the means by which we change people, but to let, have love be the end to which we aspire, um, to have it be the the point of our relationship with people. And so I think oftentimes we enter into relationships thinking, oh, if I love them, it'll change them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's interesting because like we can know that and it's hard to sometimes separate out the knowledge. I do know if I love people, it'll change right. them. Right. I do know if I love people, it'll, it'll help them encounter Christ's love. Let, let me, let me do a, maybe, um, an analogy here. We, we know that prayer can affect a situation. Mm -hmm. And so we, we say, okay, I'm going to pray for this situation so that it will change. And, and I do believe that prayer changes situations. Absolutely. But I also believe that a lot of time prayer changes us. Yes. And so in that process of, of praying, yes, the situation may change, but it may change because I have changed. Right. Uh, and and I, I hear, as you're saying this, a very similar thing as you're speaking of love, that as I go in to love someone, yes, the end result may be that love enacts that change in them, but that could also be because it changes me first. Yeah. And it also could be a different change than I expect. And I think that's the big thing. Like mm -hmm. when we use love as a means, that means we haven't detached our ego from what happens, right? We don't have an appropriate attachment from what God's outcome in the life of that person looks like. And that puts us in the position of trying to be that person's savior. We're trying to love them enough that they'll change into what we think they should be and be like, as opposed to just loving them. And letting Christ and the Holy Spirit operate in that love to make them the best version of themselves, the version of themselves that he created them to be, which may look different mm -hmm. than I think or expect. Um, and and that's a hard thing to do. That's a challenge. So what we want to do is very much a simple thing. You know, we broke it down into a four-part process, um, which is the thing you do when you work in church ministry for a long time <laughs> is you take something easy like loving your neighbor and you break it down into a four-part process. But it's, it's only really truly church work if it either spells something or starts oh, with no, the same God. letter. Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> I even thought about making them end with the same set of letters for a little while just to give it a little bit, and they don't. They don't. I just <laughs> I just couldn't do it because um, if somebody asked me what we wanted to do, I thought the easiest way to do it was just to tell them, right? right. So we want to we want to be incarnate with people. We want to be in the flesh with them. We want to be present to them. We want to be in the middle of our neighborhood in the same way that Christ came into the world. We want to go as missionaries into a neighborhood. Um, and so we want to just be incarnate. Uh, we want to proclaim and proclaiming doesn't necessarily mean Bible thumping or being on the corner or, you know, signs in our front yard or anything else like that. It mostly means that um, since since a big part of incarnating means eating meals with people, it means over those meals, having real conversations and being true and honest about what we believe while we hear and understand the lives of the people around us and that we ask questions and answer questions. Right. Uh, and then we want to demonstrate. We want to demonstrate that we're in this for the long haul, that we uh, want to serve people. We want to take care of them. Uh, but demonstrate also means, you know, you mentioned prayer earlier, like we want to pray for people and we want to see their lives changed by that. And that could be praying for healing, praying for situations, but being intercessors on behalf of our neighborhood. And then the last thing we want to do is equip. So initially that's really focused on the rest of the church saying, hey, Here's a journey we're going on. You know, do you want to know about this? Do you want to hear about this? Do you want to know what best practices are? Do you want to come and, and live with us for a week? We'd love to have people come come visit us and just stay there for a week and come love our neighborhood with us. Um, and uh, that's how it'll start. But, you know, ideally, when things are fruitful, um, if we're faithful to God's plan for us, they will be. Um, mm -hmm. That would start to be what are the people in our neighborhood start to, to do? How do they start to live that out? How are we actually walking in discipleship with them? Which is really where you start to say, hey, you know, like 
RCIA. It's a thing, you know. Um, uh, the church is a real reality that we'd love to have you be a part of. Here's where we go to mass on Sundays. We'd love to have you come be a part of that community. Um, and really walking and journeying with people locally. So, you know, like it's these it's these four things that are very just core to what we're supposed to do as Christians anyways. Um, but the concept is just to go. Uh, the, the interesting thing is if we're successful, right, the Francis option, as you called it earlier, starts to look a lot like the Benedict option after it's been successful. As you, right. All of a sudden you're surrounded by a bunch of Christians again. And so how do you continue to push out yeah. um, in that? So that, that's where I want to go next because I want to talk about this this trend. Of course, I grew up in the suburb and um, I was surrounded. My whole world centered around the parish. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, all of my friends were at the parish. All of my activities were at the parish. Uh, I'm not really at that point in time facing a whole lot of people who don't look like me. Yeah, And, and I find uh, in conversations with a lot of people in the church world that that's not an uncommon uh, experience that everyone in our circle looks like us. How do I get to a place where I can begin to uh, encounter and live with people who look different than me when everyone who I am around fits my mold? Like I, I challenged some parishioners, they're like, everybody we know is Catholic. And I said, you don't know anybody who's not Catholic. Everybody you know is Catholic. They're like, well, like our bank teller and our mailman, right? Like, so, <laughs> like, there you go. That's that's your mission field, yeah. right? And they're like, oh, so you expect us to actually like talk to them, like talk to our bank teller and talk to our, yeah. Like I know my bank teller, her name is yeah. Sally. She's delightful. She recognizes me by, by my face when I come up. I don't even have to hand her my ID. It's great. Let's, let's be honest. You have a very distinctive face. I do have a very handsome face. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, like Sally will ask, you know, what's up at the church? Cause she knows I work at a church and that's a great yeah. inroad. You know, I know she works at a bank, you know, the big thing is, you know, um, especially people who are in ministry or active in their parish, the number one question I ask is like, do you have a hobby? Like, do you have a thing that you love? Like, um, you and I have been, uh, the first time we ever hung out in person, we went to a podcaster and creators meetup um, yeah. for, for Patreon, right? There were tons of people who were different than us in that room, um, very much so. And some of them I've formed really good relationships with since then, um, had on my show, done other stuff with, um, and it, that's a really amazing place to start, but it came by saying, Hey, here's something we love. Let's go to this thing that doesn't have anything to do with the church. It's about, that's about creators making things and, and looking for support in that. And so the, um, the reality is starting to think about your hobbies, the things you do outside of the church world. And if you don't have one, like get one, like, I mean, and that's a real thing, like be involved in your parish, like don't sacrifice that. But the reality is find a group of guys who love board games and get together for board game night once a month and then invite people from work who are not people from church who happen to love board games also or go bowling or mm-hmm. start knitting or go on walks like and just talk to the people who you interact with. I was leaving a restaurant today and I had a five minute conversation with a guy who saw my shirt and it says big orthodoxy on it, but it's it's disarrayed. So it's a little bit hard to read. And, uh, and he said, what does that say? And I told it to him. And then we had a five minute conversation. His son was a pilot who got shot down in Iraq. Uh, his name was Jack. If you can keep him in your prayers five years ago, but he went to church at St. Luke's dad, dad is not Catholic. His dad was, and then his son was, and, um, this is basically the anniversary of his son's death. So he was going out to meet up with some family to be with people and um, just had this beautiful conversation with uh, this guy in the parking lot. And um, that doesn't take anything other than I made eye contact with him. 
And he said, hello. And I said, hello. And he said, tell me about your shirt. And I told him about my yeah. shirt. And that started a conversation. Yeah. And the other thing is like, just compliment people. Mm-hmm. Like, tell them how good looking they are. Tell them how handsome. And this is going to seem really weird. Like, but people are, people like hearing it and are unused to it. I find such shock when I will call up the, the checkout clerk at the grocery store by name. They're right. wearing a name tag. Right. Um, and, and there's just this rich opportunity just by acknowledging someone's presence. One of my favorite church documents that I think is probably currently the most underrated church document is Christa Fidelis Laici, the vocation of the lay person and what it means to be a lay person. And I'm going to, I'm going to clip two phrases with a couple paragraphs apart together because they sound better that way, but they are, they are part of a one connected thought. So I don't feel bad about it. Um, But it's um, the parish is the family of God set on fire by a common spirit and inserted into the neighborhood of mankind. Like our parishes are intended to be a place where we as a family gather to be set on fire to evangelize to our neighborhood. I mean, that's why parishes are still broken up into geographic regions. regions. It's not just because you got to know which parish you're supposed to go to. It's because that's actually Mm -hmm. the mission field of that parish. And we've, we've deeply lost that as a church. Um, And not just because people parish shop or we live in a society where people can drive now, We've lost the understanding of, as the church, of what it means to live in a neighborhood. And so without replacing a parish, because we're not, we're not going to, we're not becoming a church. We're not hosting mass. We just want our household to be a domestic church, a place that is put into a certain neighborhood, set on fire by God Mm -hmm. to bring the entire neighborhood to know him more. And to do that in accordance with the way that a parish is supposed to exist, to, to still be going to mass on Sunday, to be saying daily prayer together as a family, to enter into a real flow of life that we've gotten really disconnected from in our modern society today. And it seems like a dumb thing to have to set up out on, on, out on a mission to just go do the thing that we've functionally created to do. But I think we're at a point in our society where unless people are starting to intentionally make that choice, mm-hmm. It doesn't happen. We're just as caught up oftentimes as everybody else and running around and doing all the things and making sure this organization, the parish, runs well, um, that we oftentimes miss the fact that the parish was put here to take care of the neighborhood. So if the parish is going well and the neighborhood is going poorly, the parish isn't doing what it's supposed to do. And that's our job as baptized Catholics. That's yeah. our job as the laity, is the Christianization of the world. Um, and and so I just want to get back to that. I want to point people to your podcast, The Threshold Podcast, mm-hmm. uh, just to, as a way to model what those kinds of conversations might look like. And The Threshold will come back online as we make this move because it'll be a part of that whole movement. Um, and it's going to be thresholdpodcast.fm. That's threshold, like the, the thing at the base of a door podcast.fm and social media links and how to listen to those on whatever your podcasts uh, device of choice are, are all on thresholdpodcast.fm. We've been talking today with Tony Vicenda, founder of Catholic Beard Balm. Find uh, more about him and his products over at catholicbalm.co. Uh, also take a look at his podcast, The Threshold Podcast, as he is endeavoring now to move across the country over to Philadelphia to live in community and shine the light of the gospel in that community. Uh, There's much more to come right after this as we dive into scripture and church history. You're not going to want to go anywhere. We'll be right back. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Today, we talked with Tony Vicenda, talking about living incarnationally. God became man. He took on human flesh. He was incarnate and lived his life among us, showing us God's love. And then after his life, death, and resurrection, he ascended into heaven sent his Holy Spirit among us, and now we, you and I, are the body of Christ, we who have been baptized. And as the body of Christ, it's now incumbent upon us to be the incarnation of Jesus Christ to the world today, to to do the same things that he did, to live in a way that reveals the love of God to the people who are in our immediate surroundings. Uh If you missed any part of this show or you want to share it with your friends, catch something that you missed or listen to it again, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And as always, there's an extra segment with our guest. We uh, have a couple of extra questions with Tony as we explored some of the topics today uh, a little bit more in depth. Those are available to all who support the show through Patreon. You can get there by Going to OutsideTheWalls.com, looking in the top right-hand corner of the page, you'll see a link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. If you click that link, it will take you to this page that gives you information about the various ways that you can support the show, including for as little as $5 a month, getting access to all of the extra segments that we produce with our guests each week. Let's go ahead now and turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and from church history. The reading from Scripture today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Jesus said to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He takes away every branch in me that does not bear fruit, and every one that does, he prunes so that it bears more fruit. You are already pruned because of the word that I spoke to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit, because without me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me will be thrown out like a branch and wither. People will gather them and throw them into a fire, and they will be burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. That reading comes from the Gospel of John chapter 15. And this really harkens back to what we talked about last week about living our lives with the gifts of the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. Uh, And Jesus really brings this home that without that life of God in us, without the being made sharers in the divine life, you and I can do nothing. Our own competencies are not enough for us to be able to accomplish anything for his kingdom, anything eternal, anything that lasts and that matters. So for us, the task is to remain in Christ. And that then raises the question, how do we, how do we go about doing that? Well, we do that through prayer. We do that through Eucharistic adoration, spending time in silence with Christ. We do that by participating in the Mass, not merely attending the Mass, although 
uh, that's a good start for us. But really to say, I am here, I come, you know, this is one of the Psalms that we, we have uh, in the Mass. Lord, here I am, I come to do your will. If you don't know where to start, if you don't know how to begin to say, um, Lord, I want to remain in you, I want to bear much fruit, I want to be your disciple, then just start with that prayer at the beginning of every Mass. Just go and sit down, genuflect, sit in the pew before Mass in silence and say, Lord, here I am, I come to do your will. And now realize that it's up to him. In this reading, he says multiple times, without me, you can do nothing. And that even comes to the place of figuring out what it is that we need to do in order for us even to discern what it is that he has for us, the charisms that he's given us. Even there, we can't do it without Christ's initiative. And so just coming in and sitting in silence, sitting in the presence of Christ and saying, okay, I want to abide in you. I want your words to abide in me. And I believe what you've said, that without you I can do nothing. And I want to do things for you. So, Lord, here I am. I come to do your will. Just leave it at that and wait for the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit will come and reveal to you what it is that God wants you to do, what it is that he, what that next step is that he has for you. As we said, that God has something for us, his love for us, the reconciliation he has for us, and he has something for us to do, something for us and something for us to do. Our reading from church history today comes from the document that Tony mentioned earlier, Christa Fidelis Laici, where we hear this. We return to the biblical image of the vine and the branches, which immediately and quite appropriately lends itself to a consideration of fruitfulness and life. Engrafted to the vine and brought to life, the branches are expected to bear fruit. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Bearing fruit is an essential demand of life in Christ and life in the church. The person who does not bear fruit does not remain in communion. Each branch of mine that bears no fruit, he, my Father, takes away. Communion with Jesus, which gives rise to the communion of Christians among themselves, is an indispensable condition for bearing fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And communion with others is the most magnificent fruit that the branches can give. In fact, it is the gift of Christ and his Spirit. At this point, communion begets communion. Essentially, it is likened to a mission on behalf of communion. In fact, Jesus says to his disciples, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. Communion and mission are profoundly connected with each other. They interpenetrate and mutually imply each other to the point that communion represents both the source and the fruit of mission. Communion gives rise to mission, and mission is accomplished in communion. It is always the one and the same Spirit that calls together and unifies the church and sends her to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. On her part, the church knows that the communion received by her as a gift is destined for all people. 
Thus, the church feels she owes to each individual and to humanity as a whole the gifts received from the Holy Spirit that pours the charity of Jesus Christ into the hearts of believers as a mystical force for internal cohesion and external growth. The mission of the church flows from her own nature. Christ has willed it to be so, that of sign and instrument, of unity of all the human race. Such a mission has the purpose of making everyone know and live the new communion that the Son of God made man introduced into the history of the world. In this regard, then, the testimony of John, the evangelist, defines in an undeniable way the blessed end toward which the entire mission of the church is directed. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In the context of church mission, then, the Lord entrusts a great part of the responsibility to the lay faithful in communion with all the other members of the people of God. This fact, fully understood by the fathers of the Second Vatican Council, recurred with renewed clarity and increased vigor in all the works of the Synod. Indeed, pastors know how much the lay faithful contribute to the welfare of the entire church. They also know that they themselves were not established by Christ to undertake alone the entire saving mission of the church toward the world. But they understand that it is their exalted office to be shepherds of the lay faithful and also to recognize the latter's services and charisms that all, according to their proper roles, may cooperate in this common undertaking with one heart. That reading comes from the apostolic exhortation of Pope St. John Paul II, Christofidelis Laici. That's just one segment out of 64. It's well worth the time to open up that document. We're going to post that over on our social media on facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. And this is one of those documents that you just have to sit with for a while. Uh, It's a challenging document because it shows us what you and I are responsible for in the kingdom of God. It shows us quite clearly uh, the call to holiness, the call to evangelization, and and lays it out for us in really practical ways uh, what you and I need to do in terms of being connected to God the Father, being connected through Christ the Son by the Holy Spirit, and then the work that is incumbent upon us to complete as members of the body of Christ. As you process today's show, what's the thing that you've seen in your own life? Uh, Come and share that with us as a part of a conversation on social media. Maybe what's the thing that most challenges you, that you want us to join with you in prayer? Come share that on social media. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Drs. Michael and Julie Highland and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, join their numbers, and get extra segments. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.